We are continuing in Ephesians this morning, and so Paul, in the last set of verses, and we saw in the beginning of chapter 3, has just explained how all of us, um, Jews and Gentiles, are supposed to come together as a community. Um, It doesn't matter what you think of the other person, it doesn't matter if you hate them like the Jews and Gentiles, we're supposed to all come together in Christ. Um, But how do you do that? Right? Do you just pretend? Do you just magically change your mind? Oh, I, all of a sudden I'll like this person and we'll get along just fine. Um, do you just flip a switch just like that? Right? How do you actually live in community with people that you disagree with on certain things or that you may, like the Jews and Gentiles, actually hate? Right? Because we can try hard to let our thoughts and our feelings and our ideas about somebody else go, Um, But what happens is the second they do something that we expected them to do, all of those things come rushing back in and you kind of go, I told you so, I knew they were just like that, right? Um, But something has to be different about them and about us for this to happen. Something has to change, not just in our attitudes or in our ideas or how we feel, but I think something at our core needs to be different, And that is what Paul is going to pray for, for the Ephesians, and by extension for us this morning, is that something different, a change within us needs to happen for us to come together in a loving community that reflects God's love. So we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, if you want to turn there. Um, It's page 1037 on the Pew Bible in front of you. Um, It's also in our uh, Brentwood Bible app or the YouVersion Bible app as well. You can follow along. It's Ephesians chapter 3. Um, We're going to be reading verses um, 14 through 21. And it says this, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so we are going to work our way through Paul's prayer this morning. And we'll see that everything as we go through kind of builds on each other as Paul usually does. First, he'll pray that we'll be strengthened and that the indwelling of Christ within us and his spirit um, will bring the fundamental change that we need in our lives to live in community. And he does that so that we could be rooted and established in love, right? Love is the center of this new community. And this love of God is all-encompassing. He shows us what real love looks like, both in himself and in Christ. And then he reminds us that God's power, which is even greater than we can understand or imagine, is at work in us to help us live in this community, to live together in a loving community that glorifies God for all eternity. And so that's what Paul is talking about this morning. So he's picking up, like we talked about last week, from verse 1, where he says, for this reason, and then he gives us this aside, He talks about the Jews and the Gentiles together and kind of how all that fits, and he's coming back in verse 14 to his prayer And so that's why we see for this reason, again, he's pulling himself back into praying for us. 
He's going to do something right at the beginning that reminds us in this prayer that everything comes together, right? As much as we think we're separated or we're different or we come from different backgrounds or different generations or whatever it is, he reminds us we're all together. And he does this from the very beginning, right? We have one father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And this means a couple of different things. Um, in one sense, God is the father of everyone, right? Because at creation, he created man and woman, and from those two people, everyone else has come. And so technically, God is our father because of his work in creation. And so every family is named or exists because he is the father. Um, he is the first father. He's also an example of what a father should be, right? Of how a father acts, of how a father cares, of how a father talks to his children and to his family. And so God, for us, he provides, he gives good gifts, um, and he sacrifices for his children. And in another sense, God is the father more specifically of those who are called to be part of his family, Right? Those will be, will be those who respond by grace through faith to trust in Christ and become children of God. Right? This is a different type of fatherhood than just kind of over everyone. This is the type of fatherhood he is to the Jews and now to the Gentiles who are one together in the church. And so we talked at the beginning that if all kinds of people were going to be together in this community, something had to be different, something had to change within them something at our core. And Paul understands this, and this is what he begins to pray for. And this is where he starts in his prayer. And kind of what I'm categorizing this thing of, of where it talks about at the beginning of strengthening us and dwelling with us, I'm just kind of saying this is where God moves in, right? This is where he moves in with us. He becomes a part of us. And we see this in 16 and 17, that he may strengthen our inner being, Right? We've seen Paul talk about a lot of things in Ephesians so far. Right? Be together as part of God's family, as one. Be nice to each other, especially when you're together. You're a made alive for good works. There are things that he's calling you to do and asking you to do, and he has made you alive for that purpose. The problem is, almost all of those things could be accomplished by sheer force of will. I'll just try hard enough, I'll be nice, I'll put a note on my mirror every morning to be nice to other people, and if I remind myself to be nice, that will be enough. If I try hard enough, I can do it. But that doesn't actually require you to change or to be different at your core. And so Paul is really making this clear this morning, that in order to live in this new way as a new person in a new community, something has to change at your core not just from appearances, but from the inside. Um, when the Bible talks about changing from the inside or what's the center of your being, um, it's really talking about your guts, right? That's what, how the Bible views it. In that time, it's kind of from where your guts are. That's where the center of you is. And we can talk about this a little bit in this way, right? I had a gut feeling that that's what I should do from the middle. But for us, really, that, that has shifted up a little bit and for us, the, really the center of our being, the way we talk about it and think about it, is our heart, right? Follow your heart. Wherever it leads you, that's what you should do. That's the way we think about it. So both of these things are what's at our core, what is at the center of what we are doing. And so Paul, I think, is talking about us, Christ, moving into our core, our center, into our hearts. 
And when you are new in Christ, when you become a new believer, you are born again, which technically means you're like a baby, right? And the reason he tells us to strengthen our inner being, what's inside of us, the core of us, is because when you become a Christian, it's brand new. It can't really do much. You might know the fundamental truths about Christ and what he's done for you, but how to apply those and live those out in different areas of your life, you're not quite sure. And so you need to be strengthened. You need to work out in those things so that you can be changed. Because when your inner being is changed by Christ, it starts you down a completely different path than you were on before. And once you start down that path, things begin to change. And what happens is, the way that he strengthens our inner being is by dwelling with us. Right? And there's two words that are used for the word dwelling in the scriptures. One means to inhabit as a stranger, um, basically to live someplace that's not your home. And the second means to settle down somewhere um, in a permanent rather than a temporary place. And so Paul, in this verse, is using the second one. He means that Jesus moves in and makes our heart a home. Now, when I was growing up, we moved um, a lot, um, all over the place, all over the country. About once every year or two, we would move somewhere else. And so the first house that I actually remember us moving, well, I, I remember some of the other houses, but when we actually moved in, when you're a kid, you're like, I don't care what color the walls are or what it looks like. I just need to know like where I am, where's the playground, are there any friends here, those kind of things. But the first one I remember moving into, um, I kind of went in before they had done anything to it. And so as I walked around, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then I get to the bedrooms, and there's three bedrooms. And the first one um, is normal on three walls. Um, the other wall is neon yellow which they had decided wasn't enough, so they also painted the ceiling neon yellow as well, so it's an accent wall. This was like the 80s. This was before accent walls were a thing, I thought. Um, but accent ceiling is definitely new, so if you want to bring that back, you can go for that. So that's the first one. That's the room I ended up in. Um, the next room, I guess to balance out the neon in the first room, they had painted black. So most of the walls in this room were black. I don't think the ceiling was, but it was black. Then if you turn around, there was the master bedroom, which wasn't that much bigger than the other ones. Um, master bedrooms have a bathroom. That's the bonus, right? Um, it was pink, all pink. And if you like pink, that's okay. But I just remember thinking, who were these people that thought neon yellow and black and this weird pink, like it wasn't, anyway, like this was what they wanted. This was their house. And so what we did when we moved in is we started painting because we didn't want neon yellow on the walls or on the ceiling or black on any of the walls, or my parents didn't want their room to be all pink. They wanted something different. And so you slowly, over time, we began to paint those and make those changes so that it became more like us. It fit us in our desires and what we were trying to do. And so this is what Jesus does when he moves into your heart, right? When we first become a believer, yes, we are new in Christ. Yes, we receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but there's still work to do in our maturity and our growth to be more like Christ. And when Jesus enters our heart, it's a bit of a fixer-upper, right? There's work to be done, there's neon walls and black paint and leaky pipes and trash 
kind of in the corners, right? There is work to be done in our hearts when Jesus shows up. It's not a reflection of who he is or how he would be living there. But just like we repair and clean and make our homes to feel like us so that we feel comfortable, so that we belong there, Jesus begins to do the same thing. He begins to repair. He begins to renew. He begins to update the things in our heart. And eventually it begins to feel like his home. It's shaped by him. And so over time, it becomes obvious that this is where Jesus belongs. Right? It's like when you meet somebody and you get to know them fairly well and then you go to your house and as soon as you walk in their house, you're like, oh, of course this is where you live because it so perfectly fits them and their personality and what they're into that you can just say, this is where you belong. Right? And so the same thing Jesus is doing in our hearts when he dwells there that we should be able to look at our hearts and what reflects out of that and say, oh, of course this is where Jesus lives. It fits him perfectly. And So the question I had this week that I thought through and I think would be challenging for us to think about as well is, do you treat Jesus like a renter or a permanent resident in your heart? Right? Because when you're renting, you don't make a lot of changes, you don't really paint You just kind of live there, and you may put up some decorations, but it's not really your house. You can't only make it so much yours like you belong there. When you're renting, you're really just trying to cause so little damage that you can get your security deposit back, right? That's your goal. Don't mess up too much. But when you're a homeowner, you go in, and you fix things, and you repair things, and you paint, and you make it yours. You're proactive in what happens there so you don't have to fix more things or have bigger damage. So for you, when you think about Jesus indwelling you and living in your heart at the core of what you're doing, or you're just like, Jesus, don't mess up too much, right? I kind of like what I've got going on, where I'm going, how I'm living. Like, don't, don't make too big of a mess. Don't clean up too much. Don't change this thing. Don't do that. Right? That would be seeing Jesus as a renter. Like, just, you're just kind of here temporarily. Um, when I really need you, you can step up. Um, or are we teaching, treating Jesus like the homeowner? It belongs to him. And he can do whatever he wants. He can change whatever he wants. He can ask for whatever he wants. And we just trust in him. And we give that over to him. And then if you are treating Jesus as a homeowner in your heart, Does your heart and your life, by extension, say, Jesus lives here in a way that is obvious? So that if somebody didn't know that you were a believer in Christ, and then they got to know you, and eventually that came out, they would say, of course you're a Christian. I can tell by how you live, by how Jesus flows out of you in your life. So Jesus dwells in us. And so it's our call and our challenge to treat Jesus like a homeowner, like he owns our heart. That's how we change from the center out. Right? And as he makes his home with us, he continues, we become rooted and established. And Paul is combining two metaphors here, um, rooted, which is talking about planting and agriculture, and established, which is building and architecture, Um, to kind of help us understand how to ground us in this love. 
But what is this love that we're supposed to be rooted and established in? What is he really talking about here? I think there's a ton of things we could say about the way that God and Jesus love us and how it's demonstrated throughout Scripture, Um, but we're going to talk about just a couple of big ones. And so first, I want to talk about the love of God as the Father. One of the biggest ways that God demonstrates his love is by sending Jesus to earth for us. When we were struggling in sin, when we were separated from him, when we were going astray, God didn't just say, good luck, I hope you figure it out. Here's a list of rules, at least not for when we're living, right? Here's a list of rules. If you follow those exactly, perfectly, then you'll be good, right? That's not what he does. Eventually, he sends Jesus among us to live among us, to show us what it looks like to live a perfect life. And eventually to die in our place and sacrifice his life for ours, to take the punishment for our sins, for our mistakes, for our misgivings, so that we can be made right before the Father, and that we can have eternal life as we trust in him. And after he sends Jesus to do that, what Paul has been talking about in the first three chapters is he then gives us grace. We don't earn it. We don't do anything special. We're not better than anybody else. He gives us grace. He gives us what we don't deserve in eternal life and salvation. And then we talk about the love of Jesus, and it's connected to what we just talked about. Jesus comes as a man. It says uh, in some places he came willingly to live among us. This is a little tricky theologically, but I think Jesus could actually have said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go to earth, I'm not, but he did, and he lived among us, born as a baby, right, and lived all of that life, right, from little, from helpless, through the teenage years. Jesus is a teenager, that's a fun thing to think about, right? Um, but then he just continues to grow and lives among us, and then he dies for us, right? Even though we were sinners, he died for us. For the very people who sent him to the cross. He dies for them. So that's what I want us to think about when we think about the love of God and the love of Jesus as these big picture things are being rooted and established in this. And so how can we be rooted in this love? Right? Paul prays that we would be rooted in this love like a well-watered tree and our roots would go directly into God's love. I think there's a couple of things that come out of that is one is who we are comes out of God's love. If we are rooted in it, then who we are comes out of that, right? We are a sinner who has received grace. We are chosen by God. We are secure in our salvation. We don't have to doubt. We don't have to wonder. We are adopted into his family, We can be stable in our lives because we have Christ as the foundation. We can prioritize well. We can think through things. We can rest because we know God is in charge and our salvation is secure. And so we are also nourished by his love. He feeds us what we need to be healthy through his word, through his spirit to help us to grow up into maturity. The problem is we like to eat the junk food. All of the other things that the world offers and promises will fulfill us and make us feel worthy 
and make us feel satisfied and that we can rest in. See, all of that is junk food compared to what God will give us. Which means our health as a believer is determined by His love. Our growth is dependent on His love. Remember, we cannot grow on our own. We only grow as Christ grows in us. So we are rooted in Him. And then how can we be established in His love? Right, Like a well-built house with a strong foundation that's built on God's love. And so God's love is our foundation. It's what our life is built on. And I think building on that determines, actually, how much you can endure. How much of the world around you that's coming after you day after day after day can you endure? Can you hold off? How much suffering can you endure? Can you walk through? Can you deal with? Can you handle? How much persecution can you handle? Because of your foundation in Christ. I think it also determines how strong you are or how mature you are as a Christian. Because a building can only be as big and as strong as its foundation can support. So if you're not built and established in Christ and you begin to try to build your life up to do all of these things, eventually you're going to get to a point where it's going to crumble because the foundation can't support it. Right? So the foundation is crucial. Our foundation in Christ. And so the way that we grow into maturity to become all that Christ wants us to be is to build up our foundation and to put our hope and our trust in Him. Which means my strength, my growth, isn't determined by my ability. It comes from something outside of me. It comes from the roots into God's love. It comes from the foundation built on who Christ is. So if I am weak, it's okay. Because the roots and the foundation are strong. And they're rooted in Christ. And so I can grow. I can become stronger. I can be changed because of those things. So we are rooted and established in love as Christ dwells among us and strengthens us and changes us. But in case that wasn't enough for us, Paul likes to kind of keep going and remind us that God's love is greater. It's greater than we think, greater than we can imagine, greater than we actually know. We're going to see that in verse 18. This is probably going to sound very familiar if you listened before. But it says, So that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love. Um, you might have different terms. You might have a breadth in there if you're looking at your version, and that's okay. Essentially, they all kind of mean the same thing. So there's lots of arguments this week that I saw in commentaries about what these actually mean. Some people try to pinpoint these two very specific things and what each of them meant. I don't actually think that's what he's doing. I think what Paul is doing here is reminding us of the vastness of God's love. That it's all-encompassing. There's nothing outside of it. That God's love has length. 
right? It's long enough to last for eternity. From the beginning to the end, that's how it will go from the beginning. I know that's not how eternity works. There's not a really a beginning and end. It just keeps going. But you guys are with me. You understand. So God's love has always been there and will always be there. It has width or it has breadth. It's big enough, wide enough to embrace both the Jews and the Gentiles in the church. For all mankind, for us as we think about that, it's wide enough for all nations to be and to experience the love of Christ. It also has height. God's love has height. I think that means that it lifts us up to heaven. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, which we'll get to in the next one, it has the power to be able to lift you out into eternal life to be with God forever. But it also has depth. And I think this is just talking about kind of us and where we're at. It's deep enough to rescue you from your sin. Even the most terrible sinner can be rescued because God's love is deep. It pulls you up out of your guilt, out of your shame, out of your regrets, those things that you think about at night, I wish I didn't do that, I wish I didn't say that, I can't believe that thing happened. And for some of you, it was days ago, for some of you, it may have been years ago. Right? But he pulls us up out of that in his love. He restores us out of our guilt and our shame and our regret. And so it's all-encompassing. It is, can do anything and all things. So he talks about that's the love of God, and then he talks about the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge. Now, we know in our time, we know actually a whole lot about Jesus, right? We have the Bible that tells us about Jesus. We have other books that are written about Jesus. We have historical documents that tell us about Jesus. We know a ton about who he is and what he said and where he lived and his teachings and commands in Scripture. But what he's saying is, Jesus' love is even greater than all the things that we currently know. It's more than that. Right? There's a verse in John that says, if we had written down all the things that Jesus has done, I suppose there's not enough books in the world, basically, is what he says, to write down everything. Right? And so his love is greater than that. It surpasses all of our knowledge greater than that. And as we understand God's love and the love of Christ, it says we become filled with the fullness of God. So this filled with the fullness, this phrase basically means uh, filled to the top, the full measure. Right? And so for us, as we think about it in the context of, of kind of these verses and how we're thinking about our heart needs to be changed. It needs to be different. I think what this is saying is, as your heart changes, the rest of you begins to change. And your thoughts change. And the way you see things, and the way you understand things, and the way you act in the world changes. So I think what he's saying is, yes, God moves into your heart in the Spirit, 
And he begins to make it his home and make you more like him. But he doesn't stop there. Right? He's got an expansion project that goes further. It goes into your mind. It renews your thoughts and into your actions. It changes what you do. So eventually you are filled to the full measure with Christ. With his love. And it changes everything that you are doing. And lastly, as Paul kind of wraps up this prayer in verses 20 and 21, he kind of just kind of reminds us, right? His love is great. His love is vast. It changes us. But just a reminder of who we're actually dealing with. He reminds us that God is greater. Greater than we think. Greater than we can imagine. Greater than we could ever expect. We see this in verse 20 and 21 says to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And I just want to walk through this kind of one word at a time and help us to see kind of the, the greatness that is in this. God is able to do because he is not idle or inactive or dead, but he is alive and moving and changing things, and active in the world. So he can do. He can do what we ask. He hears, and he answers our prayers. He's not ignoring us. He pays attention to us. He listens and responds. He's able to do what we think. Right? Sometimes you don't even have to say it out loud. He understands your thoughts our imagination, our dreams of who we could be in our life and our life in Christ. He is able to do all that we ask or think. There is nothing that he cannot do. He can do all of it. So whatever you're praying about, whatever you're worried about, whatever you're concerned about, whatever you're celebrating, he can do all of that. He can help you through all of those things, no matter what they are. He is able to do more than all we ask or think. Right? His expectations, his plans for us are greater than we can imagine. And Paul actually goes further than that. It's harder to, like, we, I say, feel like I say this a lot sometimes for Paul. It's harder to see in English, but he actually uses a word like more and then he uses more, 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 like kind of piling it on top of each other. So he's able to do much more or more abundantly than all we ask or think. Because, like we've seen before, he gives grace. Out of the riches of his grace, the immeasurableness of his grace, he gives to us. He's not holding back. He's not stingy with his grace. He gives it to all. And I think just to kind of help us to just one more, he's able to do very much more or far more abundantly or immeasurably more, you may have, than all we act or think. Because there's no limits on what he can do. And we've come across this verse and other things where I've brought it up before what this verse always makes me consider is, I can imagine 
God doing a lot of things, right? I can imagine the whole world coming to faith in Christ, like tomorrow. I can imagine that. We can understand, we, we, we may not understand how that could happen or why, it, it, why people would do that, but we can imagine something that big. And so what this is saying is God is greater than that. God is greater than everybody in the world becoming a believer in Christ tomorrow. Which he references, surpasses our knowledge, is bigger than our understanding, is more than we can understand. He's bigger. Which is why I think we spend all of eternity understanding this. The greatness of his love and his power and his mercy and his grace. And we just celebrate that forever because it's he's infinitely loving and infinitely full of grace and infinitely holy and infinitely powerful and so it makes sense in my limited understanding that it would take infinity to be able to understand something that is infinite and so that's what we get to do as we are with him but he doesn't just say oh right god is great and he can do all of these great things right he goes one step further and says this is the power at work in you. A power greater than anything you can think or imagine is at work in you. It is available to you. Of all the things that we've seen in Ephesians and all throughout Scripture that we see God do, that power is within you. We don't have to wonder if God can do the things that he's asking of us. Because that power is there. It is in us through Christ and through the Holy Spirit. So if you feel weak, if you're tired, if you're distracted, if you feel like you're in a rut, if you're not sure how you can keep moving forward or how you can continue to grow or how you can deal with some of the things you've done in your life, if you are a believer in Christ, the power to deal with those things is already there. It's already within you. It can already make a difference in your life. So this power works in us. And now as it does, as we live out this power in Christ, what does it say? It says we give glory to God in the church as a loving community together of sitting with people who are twice your age, who are born in a different generation, who have different political views, who root for different sports teams, who came from totally different backgrounds. We are here together because of what Christ does in us. And as we love each other and as we care for one another, right, that testifies not that we are great or that we tried hard or we did something that nobody else did, but that Christ was living in us and flowed out of us as we responded to him and felt love and kindness for other people. And so the testimony of what God's love does in us, right, it says, isn't just for today or tomorrow, but for all eternity, that this would be our testimony, that we are a loving community together. Because as our hearts become more and more and more like Christ's home, 
His love begins to flow out of us towards others so that others can see the grace that He has given us, the love that He has given us. And it's not about us, but it's about Him, praising Him, giving Him the honor and the glory and the praise that He deserves because He is greater and His love is greater and it has come to live within us. Will you guys pray with me this morning? God, we come before you and we thank you for your love, that it is bigger and greater and more powerful than anything we can think or anything we can imagine. God, so just help us to remember that when we feel alone or when we feel tired, that you are with us. You can strengthen us. You can help us get through. God, help us to remember that we, we don't want you to just rent space in our lives, to rent space in our hearts, but that you would take up residence and you would clean out the things that we can't see, the sins and the judgments and the thoughts that we don't want anybody else to know about, that you would clean those up, that you would take those away, that you would renew and repair and redeem us over and over and over again so that we can be more like you. God, help us to be rooted and established in your love for our salvation in Christ as we trust in you and give our lives over to you. To say, I know I am a sinner, I am broken, and I believe that Jesus came out of his love and died on the cross in my place so that I could have life. So God, help us never to forget that, to never move on for that, but that would be the foundation that we build the rest of our life on so that we can rest in you, so that we can hope in you, so that we can grow in you. And as we do that, our testimony of how we live our lives, how we treat other people, how we talk to other people, will make people say, that's got to be where Jesus lives. It's got to be where he lives. So help others to see you in us as you change us into who you desire for us to be. Because your love is vast, it is great, it is beyond what we can understand, and that love was poured out for us. And so help us to accept that and to live in that and build our lives on it. It's in your name I pray. Amen.